what's the biggest lie you've ever told? Right now, I'll give you just a minute to think about it. Let me tell you about mine. Mine involves creating this elaborate plan to skip school in the fourth grade. Now, here's what happened with my elaborate plan. On the day that it came to skip school, uh, instead of walking to school, I walked around the house and hid in the shed, which was my plan. I had food stashed away and everything. But the problem is about 30, 45 minutes into my plan, I got really, really bored. And so I decided to come up with a lie. Another lie on top of all this was to call my mom and tell her I went to school, but got sick at school. And so they just went ahead and sent me home and told, the, and told me to tell her not to worry about calling because they were really busy that day. Oddly enough, my mom saw that for the lie that it was, and rather quickly, I might add, she did. So what's, what's your lie? What's the biggest lie that you've ever told? Have you got it? Okay, dads, here's your special gift. Kids, what I want you to do is I want you to turn to your dad and tell him the biggest lie you've ever told. Right? I'll wait. I'll give you just a minute. If you want, you can even hit pause to give your kids plenty of time to tell you the biggest lie they've ever told. Well, that was kind of fun, wasn't it? Um, how about I ask you another question? What's the biggest lie that you've ever believed? It's a little different question, isn't it? It's a much more interesting question. You see, the lies that we tell are one thing, but the lies that we believe are something completely different. Because you see, the lies that we believe feel like truth, don't they? Now here at Fellowship, you'll hear us say quite a bit that, that our head will tell us what we know, but our feelings tell us what we believe. In other words, your head will tell you the truth, but your feelings, your heart, tell you what you believe is true. Now here's a test, right? If, 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 here's a test for this. How many of you believe that God is your provider? Right, You know that this is true. You know that God is your provider. You, you have memorized the verses. You can point to the passages. You know that God is your provider, at least in your head. So here's the test. What do you do when a bill shows up, an unexpected bill that you don't have the money for? What do you do? What do you feel in that moment? You, you worry, don't you? You feel this deep anxiety. You might wake up at night and stress over it. Now, here's why you do this. You do this because your head is telling you what's true, but your feelings and your heart are telling you what you believe. And, and what you believe is that you believe that God won't provide, or you believe that you don't like the way he provides, one of the other. And so you worry and you fret. And so you see, the lies that we believe are powerful. I think the lies that we believe are even more powerful than the truth that we know. And here's why. Because the lies that we believe lead our behaviors. The lies that we believe lead our behaviors. Now, what if I told you this? What if I told you there is one lie that we all believe? No matter if you're a Jesus follower, no matter if you're curious about this whole church thing, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter if you believe that God exists at all. There's one lie that we all believe, and this one lie leads to much of our behavior. And so what is this lie? Well, stay tuned because we're going to find out. Because today we're going to look at Revelation chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 5 and we're going to go all the way through chapter 19 to the end of it in verse 21. And so as you look at that, you can tell we're going to cover a big chunk of, of, of Scripture today, right? A big chunk of Revelation. And I think it takes this big chunk of Revelation to see this lie and, and the truth and how we're to respond. 
Now, I'm going to be reading a lot of this. I'm going to be reading all of it. I'm going to be reading every word, and here's why. Remember, there's this little promise at the beginning of this letter in Revelation. It says, blessed are those who read these words, and blessed are those who hear them and do what it says. And so as we go through the book of Revelation, we are, are holding on to that promise of blessing, of reading every word of this book. And so that's why there's going to be a lot of reading today. But, but here's, here's what else we're going to see. Is, is we're calling this series Breakthrough because we're looking at what our responses are in this book. And so we're going to read this and we're going to look for the responses. And maybe the blessing today in reading this will be your breakthrough. Maybe the blessing today for you is this response that you need. Well, let's, let's look at chapter 15, verse 5, and it says this. It says, After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came seven angels, with seven, pla- with seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes around their chest. And one of the four living creatures came and gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, uh, and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. And so now here's what we see. Remember, the book of Revelation is this revelation that God gave John about things that are to come. It's in two sections, the things that are, and that was the seven letters to the seven churches that we saw, and then the things that are to come. And so so we've seen um, the things that are to come kind of unfold in front of us, and we've we've seen seven trumpets of judgment. We've seen seven seals being opened, and now we see these seven plagues or seven bowls of the wrath of God. Now, It's interesting that this, you know, you see the bowls of the wrath of God, but each one of them is a plague. Now, when I say the word plague, does another book of the Bible come to mind? Maybe Exodus comes to mind, because in there we see plagues as well. We see God send plagues to bring judgment. And the plagues that we see here in Revelation, I believe, are meant to remind us of what we see in Exodus. Why? Because Exodus gives us a truth that we need to know. And by showing us this truth through the lens of of Exodus, we can also see it exposes the lie that we all believe. And so let's look at these seven plagues and we'll see which ones kind of resemble the ones from Exodus. In verse 16, it says this. In, in, In chapter 16, verse 1, it says this. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. And so the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and a harmful and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became like blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. They have shed the blood of saints and of prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It's what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Now, we've seen this altar before. If, if you remember uh, a few chapters back, 
The, the people who, who died being faithful to Jesus are seen under this altar. So that's the voices from the altar, the voices of those who, who stayed faithful to Jesus in this really difficult time. Now, remember, though, these, these plagues are like the trumpets and the seals because what God is doing is he is exercising judgment on those who persecuted his people, on those who followed, remember, the beast and the, and the, and the prophet and all of that, the, this evil empire and this evil religion. And these plagues expose God's judgment of the evil. And, and, and we see, as this goes on and on and on, his full and complete judgment. And we see in contrast that those who stayed faithful to Jesus, even in the midst of all these trials and all these tribulations. Now, in Exodus, there were 10 plagues. Here, we only see seven. In Exodus, the plagues included blood. Now, see if any of these sound familiar to this, right? The, the, the plagues included blood in the Nile River, if you remember those. Frogs everywhere. We're going to see frogs in just a minute. Gnats, flies, disease, sores on people, we're going to see those. Hail from the sky, we're going to see that in a minute. Locusts to devour crops, darkness, and eventually death. That was the, the, seven, the, the ten plagues in Exodus. But all of these plagues said something to the Egyptians and to the Israelites who lived in the time of Exodus. Because each of these ten plagues in the, in the book of Exodus showed something about the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. Right? Because what it showed is that compared to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their gods were powerless. And while all these plagues happened to the Egyptians, the Israelites were good. None of these plagues affected the Israelites. And so, so if, you, if you rewind the clock back to Exodus, you've got these Israelites who worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then you've got these Egyptians that worship other gods. And God's judgment is falling on them, but not on the Israelites. And so these plagues in Exodus were to show this truth, that our God is a better God. Our God is a better God. And as these plagues and revelation continue, we're going to see the message is the same, that our God is a better God. Now, we've seen this before, but I'm going to ask you, what do you think the response is going to be of those who follow the beast, of those who follow this false religion? What do you think their response is going to be? Well, we'll watch and see. Look at verse 8. It says, And the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire, and they were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over the plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores, and they did not repent of their deeds." So as these plagues are coming on and it's showing that our God is a better God, they, they're still not repenting. They didn't change their way. Why? Because there is this lie that they all believe and there's this lie that they're holding to. Now we're going to see it very clear in them, but at the end of this message, we're going to apply it to us too. All right, let's look at verse 12. It says, And the sixth angel poured out his bowls on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. See, I told you we were going to see frogs. There they are. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them 
for battle on the great day of God Almighty. And so let's, let's stop here for just a minute because we need to explain what in the world this is, right? You see these frogs that are, that are spirits that look like frogs. Now remember, as we've been going through this, Satan is often uh, predict, uh, projected as a, as a dragon, right? And this government that follows Satan, that Satan, that Satan empowers, is considered the beast as we go through this. And this false religion is, is the prophet. And so, so you put all those three together and, and they're working to lead the world away from God. And they persecute those who, who stay faithful to saying yes to Jesus. And here we see how they do it. Here we see how they convince people to, to stay away from God. John looks at these spirits that look like frogs, and these spirits that look like frogs are doing something. They're performing signs and wonders. And so, so this, this beast and this prophet are making people think they have the power of God, that they are like God. They act like God. And they act like they have his power, but they don't. As a matter of fact, they're actually wanting to battle God. Now, the writer of Revelation, John, he adds this little note. Jesus speaks to him. If you have a Bible that, that, that turns the, the letters of the text red when Jesus speaks, you'll notice that these are red because it's Jesus talking to John at this point. Look at what he says in verse 15 as, as, as John sees all this. He says, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And that's what Jesus says. It says, and they assembled them to the place in Hebrew that is called Armageddon. And so, so you see this battle is, is brewing in the background, but Jesus speaks directly to John. And, and that's why these parentheses are here. And, and he's speaking directly to John and he's saying, listen, they may be preparing for battle, but I'm coming. Be aware, be watchful. You see, because when Jesus shows up, everything changes. And so our response here is to, you know, this is, this is Jesus writing through John to tell John and to tell us to be aware. And I think we need to be very aware of his coming. But I think there's also something else here is to be aware of this lie that we can all believe. Right? We need to be aware of this lie that we can all believe. The lie, because here's why. This lie that we all believe, that we all can believe, it, it's the heart of distraction. It, it can keep us from actually looking for Jesus' return. And so what is this lie? Well, hold on. We'll get there. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 17. It says, And the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such that had never been since was on the earth, since man was on the earth. So great was the earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found, and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, see there's the hell from Exodus, about 100 pounds each fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plagues were so severe. And so here we see more plagues and no more repentance. They still don't repent. Now y'all, Prepare yourself because it's about to get really weird. All right? So, so, so let's look at chapter 17. 
Chapter 17 says this, And then there was one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls and, and came to me, and, and it came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, with the, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality, uh, sexual immorality the dwellers on the earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold, jewels, with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written the name of was written a name of mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And I love this little last part of this verse because John says, And when I saw her, I marveled greatly. Dude, I bet you did. Can you imagine? Can you imagine seeing this? Right? Because here's what we see. We see this woman and, and she's riding on this beast. And so, so the question is, who is this woman? Now, with this beast, we've seen before, right? This beast is this government that's empowered by, by the, the, the dragon. And this is the, the, the leader, the government that is opposed to God. But in this vision, we see that this government has something that it carries. In other words, there's something that's fueling this government that we haven't seen before. And that's what this woman represents. She represents this lie that we can all believe. She represents this lie that fuels this government, this lie that fuels this false religion. Well, let's keep digging. First chapter 7 says this, But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast and with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is was and is not, and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? And the dwellers of the earth, whose names, uh, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind of wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Now, now this, this little part about wisdom is, is intriguing because, because many people see this as a clue to what uh, this, this woman represents, right? Because what God is doing is I think he's giving John a real-time example of what this looks like. Because in ancient Rome, the city of ancient Rome, the empire of ancient Rome was described as a city on seven mountains, on seven hills. And so when the angel said this, if you were reading this in John's time, it would remind you of the empire of Rome, uh, the Roman Empire, which was huge at that time. And so people think that this woman represents what is behind the, the Roman Empire. What is behind ancient Rome, what is behind a government and a religion is a city. And that city, like that's what we're seeing is we're seeing that in John's time, this was ancient Rome. But I also think this is the things to come. And so there's a future here where we're going to see this, this government that's opposed to God. And we're going to see this false religion. And it's going to be housed in a city, right? A city that impacts the entire world. But it's not about the city, y'all. It's about the lie that's believed and perpetrated that Satan puts out there for people to follow. 
So let's look at verse 10. Verse 10 says this, And there are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. Perfectly clear, right? Now listen, here's the deal. If this is Rome, that actually describes the ancient Roman Empire because, because Rome did fall. And so its destruction would have been in the future for John. It hadn't fallen yet, so, so it would be in the future. But I remind you that Revelation is written so we know how to respond when the future happens. And so, so this is, is true in John, but it's also going to be true for, for those of us who are still living when this happens. Well, let's keep reading verse 12. Um, uh, and, and the ten horns you saw were ten kings um, who, uh, let's see, and the ten kings that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for an hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over power and authority to the beast, and they will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and those, uh, and those with him are called chosen and faithful. And so, so, so here, here's what's interesting. If this describes ancient Rome, the Roman Empire did persecute Christians, and the Roman Info, em, Empire did fall. And so, so that fits, right? Well, let's keep reading because there's a response in here for us too. We've seen one response, be aware of the lie. Let's look at verse 15. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute were seated are the peoples and multitudes of the nations and languages. And so what's interesting about this is that, is that this lie that this woman represents, it is a, a lie of complete self-interest, right? Because she is sitting on peoples and multitudes that she has used, that that's what this lie does, is it uses people to promote Self. Let's look at what else happens with this lie. It says, In the ten horns that you saw, they uh, and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her uh, desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. And so this woman, this, this lie that this government is built upon, uh, this lie that, that resides symbolically in this city, this, this lie, this woman will have the attention of the entire world and the following of the whole world. But one day, those who follow her, one day those who believe this lie will see this lie for who, what it actually is. They'll see her for what it actually is. And so here we see another quality of this lie that, that, that she will be exposed. This lie will be seen. And so this lie that we all believe will one day be exposed. Let's look at chapter 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean, a detestable beast. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious, uh, luxurious living." 
And so this lie, this woman represents all that is unclean, everything that's not God's ways, that's what this lie fuels. And it's something that a lot of people will follow. And people will even grow rich from believing this lie. And so a part of this lie, one of the qualities of this lie, is that this lie feels good, at least temporarily. I remember one of my mentors early on in, in my walk with, with, with Jesus told me this. They said, listen, don't believe the lie that sin doesn't feel good. Sin does feel good for a little while. And then you see it for what it actually is. This lie feels good for a little while. Let's look at verse 4. It says, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins and lest you share in her plagues. Now, here's what I love about this. This is a call from heaven to, to, to the people that John is writing to, to the people that are reading this letter, to us, to repent. Right? This is a call from heaven to confess and to change your ways and to not follow this lie, to not follow this beast. But it is, it is a call to follow Jesus instead. It is a call to repent. And I love how the mercy of God is always intermingled with the justice of God. Let's look at verse 5. It says, For her sins are heaped as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has, been pay, has paid back others. And repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion in her cup. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. Death and mourning and famine, she shall be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her. And they will see the smoke burning. And they will stand far off in fear and torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon. For a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the, of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of, y'all listen to this, cargo of gold and silver, jewels and pearls and fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood. Bronze and iron and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, slaves, that is, human souls. In other words, this lie, this city, this, this, this lie that, that is promoted, all of these things came from all over the world. Right? And so, so we see that this lie had, had tentacles and, and fingers that reached all over the world. And what they sold and bought as produce, as, as product, went from anything from cinnamon to human souls. Right? And so what we see here is that this lie has no boundaries. This lie has no boundaries. Look at verse 14. 
And it says, the fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you. And all your delicacies and, and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And the shipmasters and the seafaring men and sailors and all who trade on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets. For God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone, a great millstone, and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great be thrown down with violence. And it will be found no more. And the sounds of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. The craftsmen of any craft will be found in you no more. The sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. The light of a lamp will shine in you no more. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were great ones of the earth, and all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. But in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and all who have been slain on the earth. Now here, as you read that, it's easy to get overwhelmed and, and all these details and stuff. But there's a phrase that kept repeating itself and this idea that kept repeating itself. And not only will, will, will this lie, not only will the city be destroyed completely, it will also be destroyed quickly. Right? These merchants look and, and they were going to the port to sell their stuff and all of a sudden the city's in fire and, 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 and they can't go there anymore and it is destroyed completely. You see, there will be a time that all will see this lie for what it is. All will see her for who she is. And so this lie does have an expiration date. This lie will not go on and on forever. Now look, look how heaven responds to this lie. It says, After this, I heard what seemed a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah. Now I'll stop real quick right here. What's interesting, this word, Hallelujah, this is the only time in the entire New Testament that this word is mentioned. And these four times in this chapter, it's here. The only other time you see the Hebrew version of this is in the Psalms. And what this word simply means is praise God. That's what hallelujah means. And so this multitude of heaven is saying, Praise God, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged her on, and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you servants, you who fear him, great and small. And then or small and great. And then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like a roar of many waters, like a sound of the mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God 
Almighty uh, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready, and it was granted uh, her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And so here we see that when, when this lie is exposed completely and swiftly, heaven rejoices, all of heaven rejoices, because the lie is gone. She is exposed. Now, now, if you're still with us, right, what you're about to see is about to get really, really painful because this is where it's going to get personal, right? Let's look at verse 9. Verse 9 says this, and the angel said to me, write this. So now, now this angel is focused just on John. Write this, blessed are those who, in, who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Now, I want to stop here for just a minute because that phrase jumped out at me. These are the true words of God? What has all the rest of this been? Like, like, like what, what, is, what is, is heaven contrasting for John? If these are the true words, what, what are the false words? Which words haven't been true about God? And I think this is a contrast to all the words that this woman spoke. All the words of this lie are what is contrast to this. You see, all the words of those who followed her, all the words who followed uh, this lie and believed them, they didn't believe the true words of God. And so what did God, and so what were her words? Well, here's the lie. Here's the lie, and it's said in various ways, but, but here's what she said. She said, I am a better God to follow. I am a better God to follow than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now let's put this together because the plagues in Revelation resemble those plagues in Exodus. And the plagues in Exodus tell us that our God is a better God. And, and this woman led many to believe that she was a better God than our God. Because she gave them wealth and she gave them power and she gave them significance for a while. Because eventually that is exposed for what it is and it is a lie. And y'all, that is the heart of our distraction, too, is the same lie. Now, the things that draw us away from God are attached to this lie. Because we can all believe it. We can all believe that at least for a little while, I make a better God, right? Now, ours sound different, but it's the same lie. Our, our lies sound like this. I'm going to give you a list of, of comments. And what I want you to do is if any of these comments you have thought in your head or, or really more importantly, you have felt in your heart, I want you just to give me a like on this. And, 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 and let's just let each other know we're, we're not alone in this. Have you ever heard this in your head or heart? If I attain a better quality of life, then I will be satisfied. If I can just control my weight, my kids, my spouse, my employees, my boss, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, if I can just control that, I will be content. Ever heard this? I'm needed by people. I can't stop. If I can be completely free from any obligations, then I can rest. If I'm highly productive, I'm accepted. If I live a good life, God loves me. If my race, my culture, my economic status, if they're accepted or denied, then I'm accepted or denied. 
If I can get someone to love me, then I'm loved. If I win, I have power. If I look good or if I have enough likes, I am loved. Now, have you ever thought one of those? Now, if you notice, what do all of those have in common? They have I as the subject, don't they? Because they're all anchored in this lie that we can believe. And let me tell you what, what lie you've believed. The lie that you've believed is I'm a better God. But y'all, there's a much better response. Because look, look at what this revelation did to John when he saw this lie exposed and saw that there was a, a better response. John was ready to worship. Look at verse 10. It says this, Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. So he fell down at the angel's feet. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who, who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so the better response is to worship God. That's what this angel says, worship God. And then y'all look who shows up to be worshiped. Look at verse 11. It says, then I saw heaven opened up. So he's just been told, worship God. And then this happens. I saw, heaven, I, saw, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse, the one sitting on it called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come and gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of the kings and the flesh of the captains and the flesh of the mighty men and the flesh of the horses and their riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both great, both small and great. And I saw the beast of the, of the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured. And with it, the false prophet who in its presence had done signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur and the rest were slain by the sword that came from his mouth of him who is sitting on the horse and all the birds gorged with their flesh. Now, let's be real. This is a little grotesque, right? Right. It gets a little gross here. But look who showed up when this lie is exposed. Look who showed up when the angel said, worship God. Jesus did. Jesus showed up. And he had this sword coming out of his mouth to deal with this lie. And this sword is truth. This, this Jesus, our Jesus is called the word of God. And this sword coming out of his mouth are the words of the word of God. They are the scriptures because that's often portrayed as the word of God. It's a double-edged sword. You see, Jesus' truth stopped this lie in his tracks. Now, what, what is this truth? 
Danielle Strickland said this uh, in, in a talk that I heard her give once, and I thought it was fascinating. She said, for years, we've been trying to, to help people understand that Jesus is God. She goes, maybe it's time for them to see God as Jesus. Now, I find her play on words striking, and I think it lines up for us in this passage, because the truth for us to believe is this. Our God is Jesus. Our God, who is the better God, is Jesus. And so, y'all, our our Bible says that all the promises of God find their amen, find their yes in Jesus. And so the question is, do you make a better God? The reality is you will for a little bit. But then that lie will be exposed. A day is coming when that lie will be exposed. And for you, maybe that lie is being exposed today. And you've realized you don't make a better God. And maybe for you, you can say yes to Jesus today and become a follower of him, uh, saying yes to his, to his offer of salvation, removing the power and penalty of your sin so that you get this personal relationship with God that is life-giving, not only to your soul, but, but to your life and to those around you. Now, many of you listening to this have already done that. You've already said yes to Jesus, and you've already uh, become a Jesus follower. And for those of you, this lie Versus this truth means that we get to line up with this truth right now. And you get to declare in those places that cause you worry, in those places that cause you stress, in those places that, that, that cause you this deep, deep anxiety. You can let all of your feelings find their way to the truth of Jesus. And so here's what it means. Are you worried? Then turn to Jesus. Because our Jesus is a better God. Are you, are, you, are you scared? Then turn to Jesus because our Jesus is a better God. Are you stressed? Then turn to Jesus. Are you, are you sad? Then turn to Jesus. Are you confused? Turn to Jesus. And so church, let's not believe this lie. Let's let Jesus be our God. Let's let him be our truth. Let me pray for us. Father, Um, this is your word. And Jesus, you are all over it. You are in it. And you are the one that we are to see. And you are the one that we are to worship. And so, Father, we do this right now. And we bow our heads and we close our eyes because you are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords. And Father, I pray that you would do something in our hearts and in our souls. Would you expose where we believe this lie, this lie that this woman uh, symbolizes, this lie that is perpetrated everywhere, and this lie that will one day be exposed. Will you expose it in our hearts now? Where do we believe that I make a better God? Because Father, it it is there that we repent and it is there that we confess that as sin. And it is there that we turn to you, sweet Jesus. And to you be the glory for that. In Christ's name, I pray, amen.